episode 630 of the Chair Shop Podcast. We are back once again with another episode for you. Talking life, talking wrestling, talking movies, television, games, music, and anything else that comes up. Today I'm joined by my good friend Paul Griffin uh, for about 90 minutes to 100 minutes of chat, probably. Now edit, edit out the ads. Let's get it in a, in a quick 70 <laughs> We were just discussing before we came on air how we preferred, or certainly I preferred, when wrestling shows, uh, you'd get them off a torrent and they'd be uh, 80 minutes long. And you sit yeah. there for about an hour, forward a few bits, and boom, you're done. Whereas now, as much as I enjoy Dynamite leaving in the ad breaks, it does mean you've got to commit two hours twice a week. That's a lot. And obviously, Paul, you've been watching other stuff this week, have you? Mm. Yeah. Oh, brother. <laughs> oh, I'm watching <laughs> Stuff. I, I watched I watched Rampage con uh, Mystico e Rocky Romero, uh, which was uh, muy, muy bueno, I would say. Uh, and I watched the, the another absolutely useless Battle of the Belts. Uh, the streak is not broken. Don't worry, the streak is intact. I, I, yeah, I can't believe us are doing them. It's hilarious. We'll, we'll talk about Battle of the Bells later on. But uh, yeah, that means that I watched six hours of AEW this week, which is enough. Too, too much. Too much, you might even say. I'm happy with my four hours, especially as now I'm not, now that I'm no longer on Twitter and I still haven't been on it, I've been off for what, two weeks now. I, I log in briefly to the Cheshire account just to see if... Uh, there's a message from these guys, but that yeah. didn't work because there was one and I missed it. So that, that wasn't much good. Uh, it was occasionally log in just to tweet the show out or to give an opinion or something. I, I log in, I tweet, I'm out. No reading yeah, 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 of that yeah, fucking yeah. shit. And it's I'm all the better for it. Because I also, I don't really listen to any wrestling podcasts now. I don't see any wrestling news on YouTube or on Instagram or anywhere else. Literally, I watch Dynamite and I watch Collision. Anything else that's gone on this week, I have no idea. I'm finding out now from the rundown that TNA is back. And I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. I'm shocked because I didn't know that TNA ever went anywhere. I've been calling it wow. TNA for the last 20 years. That was actually part of the, let's, let's segue into the news. Segway. That was actually part of the video package where mm. they announced that they were moving back from Impact Wrestling back to TNA Wrestling. They did a, a video package with all of the uh, all the wrestlers uh, making their way through a, a dark wooded swampy area, mm. uh, and Frankie Kazarian fished an old an old sea chest out of the center of a lake, <laughs> and uh, they went into a, a series of little soliloquies about you know we're in charge of our own destiny and we tell our own stories and uh, we have to go back to where it all began. And Kazarian said something like. Everyone's been fucking called us TNA anyway. Which <laughs> <laughs> is very funny. But yes, Impact Wrestling, rest in peace. TNA back from the uh back from the grave. Uh with the old logo. The mm-hmm. old uh, X shaped logo with the TNA inside. I assume they'll have bring back the old uh, belt, which I know they had anyway been using on and off in, in uh, a variety of storylines we saw, of course. Kenny Omega and uh, Christian Cage briefly hold that old classic TNA belt from the era when we used to watch it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, Bound for Glory 
was this weekend. That's why this was the show closing announcement was the uh, the rebranding of the company back to mm. back to TNA wrestling. Um, also, Mike Tenay and Don West, as well as Tracy Brooks, but specifically Mike Tenay and Don West were inducted into the TNA Hall of Fame. Mike Tenay did a nice speech. And uh, I was thinking a little bit about the old Tanay and West partnership mm. because he, he, he commented during the speech that, uh, you know, when, when he and Don specifically started in TNA, that there was a lot of pushback against Don West from wrestling yeah, purists. Yeah. He was a, a, a home shopping channel guy, basically. Yeah, he? he used to sell uh, sports cards. Luckily, we mm. weren't around back then. We would have uh, spent <laughs> all our money. Bought his fucking um, brown bag specials with a uh, <laughs> Brock Anderson card in it. Yeah. <laughs> I I remember I used to watch <laughs> the videos. Of, I used to <laughs> watch the videos of his brown bag special and that he like autographed the bag and everything. It was, it was like a great little deal for... Yeah. Um, nice. I, I did never buy one. Did Barry once get a brown bag or am I misremembering that? I don't think so. I used to. I remember we used to joke about it. So okay, maybe we did. But um, I always really loved the two of them. I mean, when I started watching TNA, I was by no means a long-suffering, jaded wrestling fan. I was still very much watching WWE week to week, and it was only through um, Eurosport. Um, and also some friends who had the wrestling channel that I was able to get my hands on a lot of TNA stuff. And I remember I always really enjoyed Don West's uh, over-the-top enthusiasm. Because, I mean, what did we have on the other channels as a point of comparison? I mean, Raw in 2004, 2005 was still oscillating between a past their prime, Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, Mm -hmm. and iterations with, like, Coachman and Joey Styles in 2006 briefly and on Smackdown it was you know Michael Cole and uh, Taz and you know it was a very different feel the TNA Impact commentary team and then I remember when Taz came in we obviously all love Taz now yeah big Taz fans (laughs) have been for have been for a long time but I digress but I remember when they first replaced West with Taz, I hated it. Right, I hated it because by then I was already fully bought into Tanae and West was the voice of TNA. Yeah, and Don West, it felt like was very much relegated to selling shite on the YouTube channel, which admittedly he was very good at. But I remember that, and I yeah, I remember people being by the end being very fond of Don West, and Taz was a bit of an, especially Taz being a kind of WWE. Guy, guy. Point, yeah. or at least an ECW guy as well was kind of seen as someone being brought in but ultimately I think Taz was the better commentator yeah <sighs> yeah, um, yeah I mean on, on the grand scheme of things possibly but a very different kind of commentator mm. and I don't know if he matched as well the TNA product especially you know Taz within a few years was was not entirely taking it very seriously if you know what I mean. Yeah, which is maybe fair. You know, compared to even to Taz in AEW, Taz is still mm. kind of jokey and who and either Gress and Yambag City and all that. But Taz seems to take this job a little bit more seriously than he did when he was 
in uh, in TNA. He, he kind of did the Booker T route of I'll get an easy easy paycheck and do my little gimmick. Oh, here. Yeah, but I think when the product's so kind of you know as it was in TNA. It's almost like you want to distance yourself from it. Like, oh, I'm not really associated with this. I'm actually, yeah. you know, making fun of it kind of thing. Right, right, um, Which right. isn't what your job is and isn't what you should be doing. But yeah. I guess there's that temptation. I actually did. On the topic of merchandise and, and uh, specifically wrestling cards, I actually mm-hmm. did buy myself. I think I talked about this already. I did buy myself because, <laughs> surprise, surprise, there's not a, a ton of financial value in them. But I did my buy myself some old TNA cards oh, from okay. back in the day, including an autographed Mike Tenay and Don West card, which Ooh. I'm very very fond of. I, I, you know, I, I, I specifically bought bought cards of people that I I like. So I bought like a Curry Man card <laughs> and, a, and a Chris Saban card and a Pete Williams card. You know, all my favorites from when I used to watch. Um, I was obviously a big X Division guy back then because. Uh, that was the one thing that WWE didn't really offer. You know, it wasn't that. Again, I wasn't. I wasn't really full into um, smartdom by then. But I, you know, the main event of TNA was very similar to what WWE was doing. You had mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett, Rhino, Raven, Christian Cage, then Abyss. Whereas the X Vision was, oh my god, these lads are doing moves I've ne- what I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, you know, my attention was. And Don West and Tanae on, on commentary, as we said. And Tanae, uh, obviously older than we remember, but still looked very well and uh, came off very, very well in his speech. Still very well-spoken and, as you might expect, from Mike Tanae. Uh, mm. Very funny as well. Uh, but yes, the important message at the end of all that was we are, we are going back to the TNA branding People mm-hmm. chat anyway, TNA, TNA, TNA. And, um, you know, Bound for Glory had a nice little crowd to it as well. I didn't watch much of the show, I will admit, but it seemed like they, they had a good little crowd for, you know, how under the, the um, or how out of the uh, public uh, eye that company has been for a while. Mm. They're still, still drawing a little crowd, um, much like more than I would have expected even for Bound for Glory these days to have done but um yeah i wonder if this tna rebranding will do much in in terms of bringing back any lapsed tna fans like myself because i was a big big tna fan in the mid 2000s i mean definitely more so than wwe at that stage uh probably from 2000 late 2004 probably through to 2000 I mean, right, we, we watched it right up till like, what, 2012, 2013? Um, probably late. I went to, to see them live in 2016. But were, were we still actively following I don't know if we then? were. I feel, yeah. I, when did, like, when was the whole kind of Bobby Roode? And that was probably 2012, wasn't it? When did I think, Bobby Roode? I, I think he and Austin Aries was, well, Bully Ray and, and Austin oh, Aries was 2012. Roode, maybe 2013. After that. Let me, let me pull up the list of world champions and we can. When he, when he had that great theme song? I'm off the chain. So, but yeah, Bobby. Okay, that was like 2011, right? So it's a lot earlier than I thought. (laughs) Oh yeah, because you had like when Magnus or Nick Aldis won the uh, won the title for the first time. I feel like we were still kind of watching around then a little bit. 
and then it got into the Ethan Carter, Matt Hardy kind of era, and that's when we stopped. So that was 2015. So I think maybe 2014 we were still yeah. watching a bit. That's crazy yeah. that we'd been doing it that late. God, I forgot about Alberto El Patron. We're winning the GFW time. Ah, we, we, we were out of it by then. Slammiversary we 15. That's cra- it's crazy to think they had Lashley, Patron, Eli Drake. <laughs> Drew McIntyre, Pen- Pentagon, on. Brian Cage, Pentagon. He was their world champion briefly. Yeah, yeah, crazy stuff. <laughs> Ken- oh yeah, of course, Kenny Omega later on for Omega oh, and Christian. Yeah, yes, yeah, so uh, TNA is back. Exciting yes. days ahead. Um, we'll see where that goes. Or they'll just continue as they are, but Doing with a the different same name. thing. But people will call them TNA, and it'll actually be TNA instead of Impact. That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I feel like we've we've just got the hang of calling it Impact Wrestling and it being Impact Wrestling. Hmm. Like, that always seemed to be a little difficult to roll off the tongue because, you know, wrestling companies typically are three-letter yeah. acronyms, right? Yeah. I mean, you, okay, you have your New Japan. Oh, you have four. your you know, this and that. But... Impact yeah. Wrestling was always a little wordy for me. Mm. It's funny because they did, yeah, as you say, they 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 did briefly rebrand into the Global Force, didn't they? Mm. Well, I can't remember if that was no, weren't they kind of simultaneous? Wasn't it Global Force and Impact at the same time? Ooh. I don't think it ever changed. I think the belt, maybe the belts were rebranded. I can't remember. It's funny because Impact was only ever the television show. Mm. Was it ever GFW Impact? Uh, yeah, GFW merged into Impact. Yeah. Uh, in 2017. And Impact Wrestling assumed the GFW name the following month. There you go. But it was dropped when Jeff Jarrett departed the company four months later. So they were briefly for four months known as GFW, Global Force Wrestling. Well, history. There's, <laughs> the, there's the TNA uh, retrospective. Uh, yeah, we'll look forward to where that goes. Any other news? Any other any other things you want to go through, Paul? Before we oh, any other news? Um, some wrestling. I don't know. If was there much wrestling news elsewhere uh, that we're not going to cover on the TV already? Okay. Well, um, I'm just having a quick glance here. Well, I, had a, I had an exciting week. Okay, you can I can go talk for about it. Tuesday. Went to the O2 Arena to see a little artist called Madonna. Okay, yeah, you're very. Obviously you're you're thrilled by that news. <laughs> I mean, that's that's equivalent to me of seeing, you know, a, a, like a less cool version of seeing Sting, the wrestler, the wrestler, or the <laughs> the wrestler. It's like you know she she she's gonna come out she's gonna give you the stinger splash she's gonna do the scorpion yeah. death drop she'll probably lose her balance and fall over once or twice uh, you'll get a splash through a table but like it's not it's not what Sting used to be anyway how did how did uh, that uh, that uh, wizened old tree of a of a woman get on with her uh, oh, Jesus performance? Uh, every, every, so I told everyone at work I mentioned I was seeing Madonna too was like. Wow, Madonna, the real, the actual Madonna. I was like, Madonna, <laughs> as like, opposed to what a wax model. 
like everyone's everyone's been very excited about it. You're the first person that's like, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, do. Wouldn't look out my fucking bedroom window to watch that. <laughs> old bitch. I do. Like, I, I do like quite a few Madonna songs, even up to the 2010s. Yeah, mm. like even up to the re- the recent stuff. Yeah. So this was a I mean, celebration tour. So she actually okay. did do everything. I don't know if it was strictly, it wasn't strictly in chronological order, but there was a kind of chronology to yeah. it. So she went from early 80s uh, right through to the, the 2010s and a few, yeah. a few more of the recent ones, but I don't recognize any of them, to be honest. But yeah, she it was it was a great show. It was about two hours. She didn't come on until nine o'clock, which come on, love. A little late. We, what, what, what time were, what were doors? Oh, we got we got there at seven. Like, we, got to the, a, we got to the venue at seven, went and had an ice cream. Was there a supporting act? No support. It was no. um, DJ. Oh, what's the famous DJ? Um, I'm going to have to Google it now. Not DJ Otzi. Um, was it Tiesto? No, it wasn't, no, wasn't Tiesto. Another was, one. It was someone like that, not Kygo. Eric Price. Oh, who was it? Getter. No, it wasn't Getter. Um, hang on, I'm going to have to Google supporting Madonna O2 Arena. What's it going in there? Um, I, can't, I can't even. I thought it was like, a big DJ, like it's someone I know, like someone very famous, but apparently Diplo. 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 Okay, I know that. Diplo, Diplo. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so the Lego, was, but for like little children, isn't it? Yeah, basically. But he was, yeah, he was doing he was doing his little DJ set. Doing his bits and yeah. Um, yeah, she came at nine, and he went on to about eleven. So it's, yeah, two hours. Oh, that's, that's that's pretty good. Not too bad. Um, yeah, and it was good. I mean, she has got so many hits. Yeah, going I mean, from the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands. Like I was, I was just thinking of all the songs she might do before we went. Then I was like, obviously, she can't fit in all of these songs because it would be a mm. five-hour set. Um, but she did get through, you know, most of the big hits. I feel like a lot of them were kind of truncated, though. It was almost like she did a, oh, like she did a snippet of it, yeah, and it would lead into something else. So I was mm. like, you know, I don't expect to go and see a Madonna concert and for her to just sort of sit there and sing a song, do a bit of banter, do the next song. That's not what Madonna's about. <laughs> it's, it's a, it was a whole damn show. Like, the production was insane, you know. It was kind of similar to the Taylor Swift thing that I saw last week at the, at the cinema. Yeah. You know, every every sort of chapter, as it were, had, like, a different set, different dancers, kind of different theme to it. So it was a, a whole goddamn production, and she did she did do the big hits. She did Vogue. She did uh, Vogue to the music like a virgin. Um, she didn't do a full. She didn't do music, which was a shame because that's one mm-hmm. I I really yeah. like. Um, but yeah, she did. She covered most of the hits. She did do a few sort of more obscure ones. I was like, come on, love, you got so many hits. Don't be doing obscure ones. We just which one the ones we can sing along to. <laughs> do the full versions of the hits and leave out yeah. the obscure ones. Um, but Avril, it was, it was a very, very fun experience and it was a, a packed, packed crowd. And yeah. yeah, everyone, everyone seemed to be having a great time. And she, um, she had a little speech about Israel and Palestine and how we all need to get along and, and live together in peace and look after the children. So, you know, that's, that was nice. You know, I'm sure we hadn't thought of that before, but um, <laughs> yeah. that was good. That was nice. And, um, yeah, overall it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. So I'm glad we went. It's uh, yeah, expensive. 
hundred hundred pound for the upper tier seats at the back. Yeah, I mean that's why I can't sit there. These days, I just I still I'm not over that. <laughs> I still yeah. expect like you can pay sixty quid to get a good seat at a concert, no, but that no. those days are long long gone, gone, brother. Um, you're looking at two hundred quid just to get in. Um, but overall, big thumbs up for for Madonna, and she did she she did she sang she d- well so she danced. It wasn't like doing huge dance routines or anything. It was a bit of dancing. Yeah. Five minute costume change back for a bit more dancing kind of thing. But she, it was, it was very, very good. Definitely worth the money. Yeah. yeah she yeah, is one of the last living of those legends. really big legends from the, the eighties. You know, your, 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 yeah. your Prince, your Jacko, you know, you're really, really well, top, top. Stars. They're the people that I would have loved to have seen as well. You know, I, I always wanted to see Jackson, Whitney Houston, Prince, Bowie. They all died. Yeah. Uh, she's the only one kind of left standing. All dead. So I was like, well, I, you know, I'm going to have to see her then. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to see her. You saw one of them. Yeah. So that was great. Um, that was my week pretty much. So we can get into the, uh, the week of wrestling, if you'd like. Should we start with Dynamite? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much, so much wrestling. <laughs> Let's start with dynamite. We won't go through the whole of dynamite because I. Th- no, we we'll, will go. We will go through it. God. I've watched it now. We're going to go through it. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dynamite opened with Switchblade Jay White and former TNA World Champion Pentagon mm, mm. Junior. Uh, Pentagon did a move in this match. That was I've never seen before, and should be his finish because it's better than his his mm. pile drive. He was like, it was, did you remember this? It was like a, uh, it was like a, a Death Valley drive. He had him up on the shoulders in a fireman's carry, and he threw him off and did a little like spin into almost like a jack. It was like a spinning jackhammer type move. Great, great move. Um, Near the end of the match, if, if you want to revisit right. it. But definitely um, something new, which Pentagon is in bad need of. Mm. As much as we love Penta, and we love Phoenix, and we tolerate Alex Abrahantes. Um, yeah, they need a bit of a refresh. They though. need a bit of a refresh. But this is a, a, a new cool move. I said, oh, I haven't seen that one before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the match was very good. Um, and of course, Jay White did get the victory after some uh, Bullet Club gold interference. Mm, mm. Um, what do you make of this Max Caster MJF stuff they're doing? Um, bit intolerable. I'm not <laughs> bit intolerable. I'm not entertained by it. No, nah, it's funny, a bit silly. I I agreed. In that, when they first started doing it, I thought there's something that's only on Twitter. A lot of people mm. won't be aware of it, but I do feel at the same time, like I do with the Pen- with Penta, it's like the acclaimed have kind of been spinning their wheels for a while. Mm. So I don't mind them to add an extra little sprinkle of character to it, just to just to if do I'm something not, different. I mean, not, they, what they need is a feud. What they need is the feud with what they need. Trio. Yeah, I mean. That is true of a lot of uh, people, unfortunately. <laughs> it's just, yeah, there's, there seems to be this, I don't know. They've got so many people under contract, but they can never seem to find, like, people to feud with other people. It's just, no. 
and and part of the problem, and I know we've we're we're beating the the dead horse here, mm. is all the championships. You know, Ring of Honor championships are, as we now know, not limited to Ring of Honor TV. Uh, we have we have a Ring of Honor trios championship match on Dynamite with uh, mm. the Elite. Is it against the Hardys and Isaiah Cassidy? Yeah. So you've essentially, for all intents and purposes, just got two trios championships, and not not one of them is more prestigious than the other one. Yeah. yeah, you got two trios championships. You got two sets of tag team titles. A plethora, a plethora of undercard titles, and I would throw the Ring of Honor World Title into that. I would throw it in the bin. Yes, we're counting. You've got the Ring of Honor yeah. World Title, yeah. TV title, TV title. Pure title, TNT title, international title. So that's five singles undercard titles floating around, with none of them. Mm distinctly more or less prestigious than the rest and then you've got the world title on top which hasn't been defended much for the last while because the ring of honor titan titles have been in the way but the point being is when you have the acclaimed who are the trios champions and you say well have them in a feud in a storyline create some contenders uh, well, they do, but they also have another set of trios mm. belts that they just have around for some reason that, that the elite are the champions of. Where, where's the sense in, in... Why are the elite the champions of, of Ring of Honor when they... When was the last time... I don't know if we have the statistician. Do we have the statistician in here? Uh, when was the last time Hangman was on Ring of Honor? He's never been on Ring of Honor, is he? Oh, no, oh, he's, he's, he's one of the champions of Ring of Honor. When's he been on Ring of Honor TV? I don't think ever, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't be. He's not even on fucking AEW TV enough. Let alone ring about it. But but you get the point. We have we have mm. just for for no reason, for all intents and purposes, two sets of trios titles. Yeah. I mean that's that's a a, a big negative because that cannibalizes the division. It means that there's no feuds because whereas you could be doing the acclaimed versus the Young Bucks and Hangman, they just are both champions. Champions A and Champions B. Yeah. So I think you're right, is we need to, and this has been something that's been said since Tony Khan bought Ring of Honor, basically. Get all of those Ring of Honor titles off TV. Have them only on Ring of Honor TV. Yeah. I don't want to be aware of them. Get rid. Bin. Bin. Um, then we had women's title eliminator Shida and Sakura very good very very good any take on it just it was good keep keep going it's fine (laughs) Um, okay now we come to the knock on wood thank god the only Adam Copeland segment of the week (laughs) Actually, he'd been all over every Dynamite and Collision since he joined. Yeah. Um, it's funny with Copeland because I feel like he's already kind of the, the bloom is off the rose with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. When he first showed up, it's it's Edge from WWE and he's got his music and it's exciting. And it's already, mm, he's just part of the furniture already. 
I think part of the issue with with Copeland is that he hasn't really reinvented himself in any way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people who've successfully migrated from WWE to AW have also undergone some sort of character change or uh, something to set them apart from what they were in WWE. I mean, Christian is obviously the archetype, but um, even your Andrade, Malachi are not necessarily the exact same characters they were across the way, you know? Um, Different presentation, different gear, different whatever. Uh, Whereas with Edge, he has the same music, he looks the same, he acts the same. And for a company which is ostensibly... Uh, an alternative to WWE when you have a WWE guy who comes over and acts and looks like a WWE guy mm. I mean there's nothing there's nothing there for you to look forward to as a new shiny toy because the toy is so well worn <laughs> and hasn't been shined up or you know prepared yeah. in any way I wonder if part of the problem is he's interacting with Christian a lot, which is kind of what we wanted, but then that's to so many other people we could be interacting with that would be fresh. In and a it, sense. And, and yeah. they're talking about all this history of him and Christian, which was in WWE, and it's, you know, we kind of know about. So it felt cool when he was out there with Sting and Derby, and it was like, oh my God, I just in the room with Sting and Derby. First time ever. He's also just been overexposed the first couple of weeks because Tony can't obviously wanted to have him on every show, and it's like, yeah. yeah, but he's he, he, you know he's a legend. He should be not say he should be booked like Sting, but almost booked like Sting. You know what I mean? He should come out every every few weeks, yeah. or four times a year. You know that sort of thing. Like, it, it, I think as well, on. he's done a lot of interviews since he's joined. I mean, mm-hmm. there's been what this is the fifth fifth show post the pay per view. He had one match and did four interviews now. So we've been hearing from him a lot. And really all he said to date is, I'm here because I wanted to be in a tag team with Christian. He doesn't want to be. And now this week he said, I'm not going to fight him. I'm not going to do that. That's that's four interviews worth. I mean, mm. or, or what I mean is that's not worth of having four interviews to say that little ultimately, you know? Mm. Um. We obviously had the great moment where he, he and Christian first met in the ring. But, um, yeah, it felt it feels like a little bit of wheel spinning as well. Like, okay, let's now have a new a beat in the story to move it to the next level, you know? Uh, you need to have him out there and Christian hits him with the belt or something. I don't know. Yeah. Something to happen. I think uh, an issue I have with, with his uh, his promo style as well which I noticed when I was watching uh, this week, is he speaks very quickly. Um, <laughs> like, he speaks 10% more quickly than a normal yeah. person would speak when being interviewed, which gives off kind of a, I want to say like a, like a nervous energy almost. Mm. Um, you know, when you're watching a, like a TED Talk or, or you're in a, a training at work or something and someone comes in and they, they're messing with their hands, and they're talking just noticeably a little bit too quick. 
that's how right. you, you can tell this person is is not entirely in their element and not entirely mm-hmm. commanding of the room's attention, you know? And that's I used to do um, at work a training on communication skills and uh, train the trainer, it was called. And my first advice was always, when you're doing any public speaking, intentionally speak 10% more slowly than you think you normally would because your natural inclination will be to speak more quickly. And he was talking to Renee here. And the side effect of when you speak so quickly is that your points kind of merge into each other and the messages. There's not like accentuation put on your points. And, you know, the the parts of the promo you really want to drill into and, and make people remember just gets lost in a soup of, mm-hmm. of words. And I mean, that kind of is played into in the fact of the, uh, the, the meme where you have the, yeah. the, the, the black and white edge blah, 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 and then Christian yeah. on the other side. Um, but yeah, generally with Copeland, I, I was definitely caught up in it when he first arrived. I was excited and it was it was fresh and it was new and it was different. But I I was kind of hoping that he would we would see a, a Adam Copeland as a separate character to Edge. Mm. But really, he's just Edge in in a, in a new name. He's he's Malibu Stacy with a new hat, but he doesn't even wear the hat. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what. Him reinventing himself, I think, too much would be a, a risk. I just don't. We kind of saw that when he came back to WWE when he's doing the demonic stuff and the, you know, the intense monologues. It's like that. That's stuff. Shit. I think he could just be Edge. Hey, it's Edge. It's me. It's I'm. It's fun time. Edge. You know, come out and do make my references myself. Just too much of it. Like if it was, if he'd come out and done one promo the week after he debuted and then had a match the next week, and then we hadn't heard from him, and we're going to hear from him next week. It's like, okay, yeah, so now if, if it had been half an hour across three weeks, then it's like, that's fine, but it's just already, again, it's, it's, it's just too much TV they've got to fill, and they, I don't think they know how to fill it. Somehow, and the, prob- the problem is they often fill it with the same people again and again and again, instead yeah. of using some of the people that they don't. Probably because of ratings as well. Like if they just oh, use other people, sales. it's like, oh, well, the quarter hour is going to be bad, so we need to keep using these people that can draw ratings. Yeah. But then you just end up with yeah, quite boring to me. Anyway, so that was so Edge. Edge did a thing you didn't like. It. Edge did an interview where he rambled, and yeah, ultimately the point of it was he will. Do, he doesn't want to wrestle Christian Cage. He doesn't want to take the TNT title or a spotlight. But when Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne turn on him. He'll be there for him, which was already kind of covered in the previous promo. Yeah. Uh, Wardlow is back, as we've seen the previous week. He won a squash, a squash against mm. the Hollywood Hunk. And then he knocked over Tony Schiavone, that fucking son of a bitch. Poor Tony. Anyway, it looks like Wardlow is, uh, is turned back into a naughty boy. And, yeah, uh, good. I, I, yeah. I made me a little bit more interested. He's, he's going to be a bit, a little bit. Uh, he's gunning for MJF apparently. He had MJF written on his mm. uh, on his wrist tape. Um, I would think the likely outcome, because we seem to have a few people gunning for MJF at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Jay White obviously obviously has the match, but Samoa Joe has also been 
public in his uh, MJF hunting. I would imagine it'll be something like Samojo and Wardlow, given their history, would also have some sort of eliminator, and actually Samojo would be the one who would get the, the shot. Wardlow. I don't know. Wardlow seems like someone who they they, they don't have anything for at the moment, uh, which is a shame. But um, We also had Kenny Omega and MJF interacting yeah. backstage here, which was also interesting. interesting. Definitely feels like a right direction to get Kenny Omega back into the main event scene mm. and as far away from the Young Bucks as possible. Yeah, away from the unbox into that main. It's like similar that we saw with Hangman, which is kind of regressed now, but it was good. It was good while it lasted. <laughs> it was good those couple of weeks where Hangman was a big single star again. Uh, I mean, they're still going with him and Swerve, it looks like. But there was, was there any? What was there this week? There was nothing this oh, week. Nothing but last week, was there. last week yeah. there, was, there, there was involvement. <sighs> yeah, I just. So, I feel like they should immediately come off the why didn't they come off the momentum of their match a really great match at Wrestle Dream leading into a rematch at Full Gear you know what I mean it's not that far apart you could have just Hangman comes out cuts an angry promo swerve attacks yeah, just just like keep that going I feel like it's that's just falling apart and now Hangman's lost to he lost to Jay White Swerve lost to Brian they've both kind of lost I don't know that momentum's just disappeared and neither of them were on TV this week, were they? No, Swerve definitely wasn't. I don't think Hangman was. No, Hangman wasn't. Uh, okay. The uh, the Adam Cole at Roderick Strong, uh, <laughs> Roderick Strong's house segments have, have jumped a shark now. That's enough of those. Uh, Christ. Yeah. Oh, this was bad. This was, this was, this was not good. This, this was, was not good. This was really bad. <laughs> I, I just, I don't, Jesus Christ! I don't need to. I don't need any more of this. No, please. The, the, the fear is, is that you know, while Adam Cole's getting the surgeries, they obviously pre-taped a bundle of these to piecemeal out week by week. But like. This this one was not funny at all. No. And uh, I feel like actually now it's taking away from interest in the kingdom and, and Adam Cole. Yeah, they, they, they had something there that's gone now. Adam Cole and MJF, that whole thing is gone. They, remember when they were the hottest like act in wrestling? Yeah, it's a sh- now, to be fair, it's a shame Adam Cole had the injury. Because that killed, that's killed the momentum of the whole thing. It feels like, but I think even before that, though, I don't know. They they it kind of quieted down. I suppose they did the the boat, the boat segment with Captain Insano, that kind of thing. That, that was, was post injury, yeah. That was after injury, but they could. I feel like they could have. Well, fly MJF out to where Adam Gold lives and film some promos with them too. Is that? Good? Oh, sorry. I know MJF doesn't like to have to work more than you know one day a month, but. Would that be okay? Could they just go and do some promos? That whole thing is done now. The whole bro chat shows Broski's thing. No, because yeah. they're they're still the Ring of Honor tag team champions. No one cares about that. We're getting rid of those belts. <laughs> We're throwing <laughs> those in. Oh, I would. That whole thing is trash. Um, we had a we had a powerhouse Hobbs uh, promo, and we had Kenny Omega and Kyle Fletcher who had a really good match as well. Very very much. Enjoyed oh, that, that was great. That was great. Really good stuff. 
very, very, very good. Uh, Don Callis was on commentary, and he was he was uh, very harsh on uh, on old Kyle for yeah. losing losing two matches now. Um, the Callis family is an interesting one because I feel like Callis is is too overpowering as the leader of the group. Mm, mm. Um, because that's very much what he is. He is the leader of this group, you know? Uh, whereas to compare him with someone like Prince Nana, mm. who definitely adds to the Mogul embassy and to Swerve's appeal, but he never overshadows Swerve, no. for instance. That's why I feel like when, when Don was with Kenny Omega, he didn't overshadow him because Kenny's a big enough of a star in his own right. Kind of, yeah. you go back to any great manager, Jimmy Harps, Bobby Heenan's. They were there to get heat on the guy, but they they weren't big enough to overshadow them. You know, Andre the Giant wasn't overshadowed by Bobby Heenan. Mm. You know what I mean? But I think the problem is that these guys, they're not. They haven't got that presence to to stand alongside Callus. Right. Maybe they'll develop it, but I think that's part of the problem. That's why kind of Takeshita shrunk quite a bit. I think feel like in terms of his his kind of heat, um, Hobbs is a good. Pro- yeah, I really liked his promo. I do have a nitpick, which is him kind of doing the MJF thing, where you have to go back and be like, "When I was fourteen years old, I wanted an autograph from you, Chris, and you didn't give me." It's like, oh, do we really have to go back to like everyone's childhood trauma, like for every feud? Can't Hobbs just say, I don't like you, Jericho, you're a prick, and I'm going to beat the shit out of you to further my career. Like, oh, my God, I don't need the the law. I, the was, law. I once emailed in to talk as Jericho. You didn't read it out. <laughs> the, oh, the supervillain law origin story. I really can live without. Um, yeah. Other than that, I do like Hobbs. Oh, I thought his promo's great, and he looks great. He's He's got, I'd say, out of that group, I mean, Osprey aside, obviously, he, aside of the, the main kind of group, he's the best prospect. I think he's the one that should get the most energy. It's almost a shame in a sense that Osprey is not an AEW guy, mm. but is, is a New Japan guy who occasionally shows up because I feel like he would be a good de facto leader of that group. Yeah, maybe that would be the plan if he does as, jump. Uh, you know, as much as we poo-pooed his uh, pre- all in promo. Uh, mm. I still feel like compared to the other guys in the group, he's uh, he's he has the star quality that those guys lack, despite being great wrestlers in their own rights. Especially Takeshita, Guevara is more than capable. Powerhouse mm. Hobbs, but like you know, in terms of jumping off the screen, I think Osprey yeah. Osprey has that cachet. Um, uh, Danhausen is coming back. Excited about that. Mm. Yes. Danhausen is nice. Danhausen is nice. Danhausen is here. Yeah, we'll see what he does. That could begin to say. What would you do with, with Danhausen? Uh, I'd give him a straight edge gimmick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Re- rename him to CM Housen. Punk Housen. I'd have him wrestle, you know, he's a comedy guy, so you have him wrestle serious people. People that are too serious, because then it's funny. It contrasts with him. 
Yeah, I do miss Danhausen a little bit. I always enjoy him. He's funny, yeah. Him and Hook. Hook. I still have my Hookhausen shirt around here somewhere. Mm. Uh, Anything else from Dynamite? Oh, Sting's retirement. Oh, we didn't finish it. Oh, you, haven't even, yeah, you didn't even talk about the most important thing from the show yet. Lance Archer is back <laughs> and had a match against Barrett Brown. Barry, Bill, Barry Brown, baby. So um, this is the second squash match that Lance Archer has done this year. He returned like four months ago on a random collision or something. And then we never saw him again. And now he's mm. back. Uh, but yes, more importantly, Stingo got in the ring and said, Brothers, revolution next year. That's it. So we we got to all in and we saw we saw Stinger in action just before he, he hung him up. So I'm happy. Like you like you with Madonna earlier. I know I very uh mean spiritedly r- related the two, but I was I was equally happy to see Sting as you were to see Madonna live. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad we got to see him. Um, he did that big leg drop through the table after it didn't break the first time. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments of the entire show. Came out to Metallica. Like, that was, that was yeah. fucking awesome. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued by this and intrigued. I mean, they've got some time. Revolution's in Mar- March, usually. So uh, we've still got another three months of uh, Stinger. Mm-hmm. So I hope, yeah. they, I hope he goes out with a bang. I hope it's a good story, some kind of good storyline, not just a, a whimper. Yeah, he's yeah. going to get a, a gift from Tony Khan next week, so that'll be interesting to to see what that is. I wonder if that's like an open match. You can you can choose any opponent, any match, something like that, or whether it be something else. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that show. I think that could be a big show. They center it around Sting's retirement. Yeah, of course. You know, I would book, which was what I was going to book for. Uh, Probably Sting versus Derby. I think that's the that's the match. That's got to be Sting versus Derby in a. Anarchy in the the first ever one on one anarchy in the arena match. Oh, or a coffin match. Now nah, that might be a bit too simple. <laughs> That's a bit on the nose. Uh, yeah, just or just a one on just a one on one match, or make it a hardcore match, whatever, a street fight. But yeah, I think that's got to be it. Passing the torch to Derby. Anyway, I'm excited to passing see, the bat. Excited to see how they go. Yeah, I liked when he he was naming all the the old legends and he said and Hulk Hogan <laughs> I, like, I get it I get it <laughs> I know he's a racist I know he's a racist piece of shit oh well um, so yeah so he will be he will be retiring we then had uh, Nick Wayne and his mother who they never name for some reason it's just Nick Wayne and Nick Wayne's mom yes uh, interview by Jim Ross my god you're treating your mother with some fucking disrespect there you little shit uh, I thought Nick Wayne was very funny here I like I like Nick Wayne I think he's he's showing a lot of personality he's really really good his mother god I, so before the, just before this segment was Tony Storm's uh, new uh, feature picture picture new feature film, film. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure which acting was worse the intentionally bad acting in the silent movie or Nick Wayne's mother's acting. Cause yeah. it was so bad. <laughs> God love her. She tried. She tried Nick Wayne in his giant hoodie. He wears, he was at, at yeah. times he looked like a little baby in swaddling, but, uh, his little self-satisfied face whenever yeah. he would like, Oh, very, very he's, he's brilliant. 
Is and then Darby uh, attacked him and kicked his teeth in. That was, yeah, good, good. Darby's trying a bit of steel. And like uh, yeah. Shivani with the best line of the night when he uh, very sarcastically said, Daddy, my tooth, Daddy. As as uh, <laughs> Nick Wayne is begging to Christian for, for yeah. attention. That was very funny. And then we ended with our main event. It's a, a battle royal and it, it sure was. It sure was a job of royal. Yep. I mean, there's no one in this. I mean, everyone in this was terrible. Not 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 in that they're bad, but just like in that they're yeah. This this is a rampage. <laughs> this wouldn't be the dynamite dozen. This is the rampage dozen. Yeah. Uh, anyway. It's mad when you, you know, again, we, we're getting too meta on it. When you have a match for a, what did I say the value is? Like a $40,000 mm-hmm. diamond ring or something? And the only people who are interested are the lads who are on the the tier one contracts or whatever they're called that AW does. Like, none, none of the big boys want a $40,000 ring. No, mm-hmm. just your your Isaiah Cassidy's and your uh, Hollywood hunks of the world. Yeah, shouldn't this be the match where you have your kind of up and coming sort of mid card, like a Hob- Hobbs and Hook? Yeah, and, and you know pe- people who feel like they're up on the rise. Whereas this is just Jobber Royal. I will say I feel like this is the year that MJF doesn't win it. I I, I think. Juice, Juicy Robinson will be him and get the ring and they'll pawn it off and they'll 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 do skits about how, how much money they got. Because MJF is a babyface mm. doesn't really need the ring anymore. So let's let's get rid of the ring for a while. We don't need the ring anymore. Um and that was anyway, that was dynamite. Rampage I did watch uh because there was a High-profile CMLL uh, crown the champion best wrestler ever in Mexico match between the uh, CMLL world historic welterweight champion Rocky Azuka Romero and the world uh, historic middleweight champion Mystico, who's called Mystico again. I I didn't get the memo on that. Okay. Because he was he was Sincara and then he was Mr. C's and then he was Caristico and I think he had like five other names. Now he's just Mystico again. Uh they had, you know, quite a good match, I would say. I don't think it was anything to go out of your way to see, but it was it was pretty good. Um Mystico still has a weird style, which is uh you know, I don't want to harp on uh, about how how lucha libre is more of a spectacle than emulating of a fight. Mm. But with Mystico, it seems especially apparent. Where you know, when they're, when they're about to do a move, where they have to both run to the ropes for for one of them to do the spin up into the hurricane rana. You know, you can see with Mystico, he's very much okay. I'm standing still, and I'm going to get ready to do my little run. Yeah, and then we're going to do the spot. It doesn't like. Uh, and I'm, I'm not saying his style is necessarily bad, but it's just when, when we're so uh, used to watching American style and then you watch a, a proper CMLL mm. stalwart, it's like the style stands out so much as being 
different from what we're used to, even in terms of, as I said, it being reflective of an actual staged combat. It definitely felt a lot more collaborative and definitely felt a lot more like a gymnastics show. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's necessarily bad even, but it just was very different and very unused to watch that kind of style. But it was perfectly good. Mystico uh, won the third and deciding fall because uh, CMLL, all their uh, matches are two out of three falls, which is a long-standing debate between themselves and AAA. Ah, because AAA don't do the Mexican traditional two out of three falls. They see that as archaic. Mm. CMLL still do do it. So this was a two out of three falls match. Mystico got the win with La Mystica, which is his uh, armbar, of course, spinning uh, spinning armbar. Uh, and then we had John Silver. Oh, John Silver won an absolutely blockbuster triple threat match with Kip Sabian and Brother Zay. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuda defeated Brian Keith and Exodus Prime. And then in the main event, Ruby Soho defeated Sky Blue. That was your rampage. Totally worthless, apart from the Mystico match, which was notable for having Mystico in it. Otherwise, nothing much there for you. We moved to Collision. A very good show, I thought. Did you enjoy it? Oh, I did enjoy it, yeah. Um, you know, it started off with two good matches. Two first, the first two matches were fantastic. Um, and then I, I did like the running theme throughout the show. The House of Black is back. I do have a nitpick about that. Oh, here he goes. Here he walker is, it the same as, is it the same as mine? We'll see. Let's, let, let's get to it. Okay, so the first match was obviously Danielson and uh, Andre El Idolo, as he was called on commentary at one point, by Shivani, <laughs> I think, really. Um, really good. Really, really good. Yeah, great stuff. They took it quite slowly at first, you know, really feeling each other out. But yeah, yeah, it was very wrestling heavy. Takedowns, reversals. Yeah, yeah, but a really good match. Again, the kind of match, but I didn't, I hadn't seen this match be announced. Obviously, as I said, I'm, I'm offline, but so I was kind of surprised. I almost wanted to anticipate it a little bit more. I would have liked to have known about it last week, and then I could have (laughs) gone, "Oh, Andrade versus Brian, brilliant!" But it was still a nice treat. Nice surprise, I guess. I mean, that's the flip yeah. side of the coin, right? Is you'll yeah. get presumably these like, oh my god, this yeah. match is happening. Um, yeah, Andrade was all kind of chopped up and red by the end of it, but uh, yeah, ended with them uh, exchanging roll-ups and Danielson getting the uh, the three count. Mm. Uh, and at the end of the match, the lights went out, and when they came back on, Malachi Black was there. He he's back, and he and he, uh, he hit Danielson with a big spin kick. Um, we had Sky Blue against Hollywood Haley. Uh, I blinked and it was over already, so there wasn't much. Uh, to someone on commentary said Hollywood Haley is a bit of a mouthful. I was like, not, yeah. not really. What's Hollywood Haley? Oh, sorry, Hollywood Haley. Oh, they were Hollywood right Haley. So I'm, saying, I'm saying Hollywood Haley. <laughs> no, Hollywood. Hollywood. Hollywood um, would be a better name. Just yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. What about Haley Hollyhood? Nah, that's worse. Too many H's. Then it's Haley um, Holly. That's, uh. Hollyhood Haley, Triple H. There you go. Uh, <laughs> the Guns defeated the Outrunners. I do like the Outrunners gimmick. I mean, I would like to see them more than... Uh, the Acclaimed. The, the, no, the Ass Eater Boys, what are they called? 
The I think they are called the Ass Eater Boys, wasn't it? The Ass the Ass Eating Savages. Oh, the Iron Savages. That's it. Um, the the Gordon's got the win, obviously, and then we saw the man in the devil mask again. That's the first time since we saw the uh, the beatdown angle. So this is the first mm. reference back to it. So this was my uh, nitpick. Go for it. They had the lights go out. And it was something else. <laughs> yeah, because having it happen repeatedly for the same person is fine because it's like a running thing through the show. But then doing it again for something else, like, come on. Yes. How can you I have that exact your- same spot on the same like, yeah. It is not my nitpick, but I, I take your point. Um, I'm going to predict, by the way, that the, the, the masked man is going to be revealed to be Swerve. That's my prediction. Swerve in the Mogul Embassy. Gunning for the gunning for the title, trying to frame MJF. Uh, then we had the Memphis Street fight: Jeff Jarrett, Eddie Kingston. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhat divisive match. I totally loved it. Oh, that was a lot of fun. I thought it was a lot of fun. It, I mean, it was just a four-on-one handicap match for yeah. most of it, but I thought there was uh, enough Eddie Kingston and Jeff Jarrett goodness in there. That was very enjoyable. Uh, uh, Jarrett did get the win after <laughs> all four of them hit their finishes on Kingston. Mm. He was not able to fight back anymore. But there was some there was some good Eddie Kingston moments in here. He he bled and he threw some good shots and he had some good facials and good funny moments. It was very very good. Uh, conversely, <laughs> um, actually another slight nitpick, which oh, really ex- perfectly exemplifies AEW's tech production issues. So they had legendary Memphis wrestling announcer Dave Brown on commentary, yes. who I thought was, you know, he, he wasn't very good, yeah. but he's, he's there for nostalgia. I like when they do these little tributes in kind of local places. That's fine. But when yeah. he when he first came on and they introduced him, his mic wasn't on. Like yeah, you've you got hear. a legendary announcer and you don't put his fucking mic on for the introduction. Like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. That's annoying. Anyway. Agree. Uh, we then had Miro against Action Andretti, and I was convinced that the way they're going with this storyline is that actually Miro and CJ are almost in it t- together already, but the idea is that there's some... I don't know. There's some... Uh, like what turns on CJ is is like luring these men into the trap for Miro to destroy, in a sense, mm. right? I don't know if it's um, kind of some sort of sexual entrapment or something, but I, I was kind of thinking, okay, so so where where the story logically is going is like CJ presumably does not legitimately have any interest in managing action Andretti. <laughs> and so when Miro was beating him up during the match, they would show CG and she'd have kind of one eyebrow up. And it seemed to me, okay, maybe the direction they're going is they're actually already a team, Miro and CJ, and they're luring these like fools in mm. to, in a sense, be sacrificed for their relationship. And then you don't see it on camera, but then they go home and just like fuck like crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like it's kind of weird, yeah, sadistic weird ritual almost, yeah, yeah, ritualistic relationship where they're kind of sacrificing these men. <laughs> to, yeah, I like that. She's like, it's like the honey pot. She like lures them in. Oh, I'll be your manager. Mm, I can do something with you. And then, Mira yeah, yeah, yeah. But then what happened was they had this like 
15 minute match <laughs> where <laughs> why did Merida just beat this fella in two minutes why, why was this match so long I don't know very odd very odd I mean this should have been I, I love having Mira on TV but from from a mm. storyline point of view this should have been two minutes max give one little hope spot Miro no sells and clotheslines the fuck out of him puts him in the submission hmm we go home. Bit odd. Um, we had a great Eddie Kingston promo from oh, the yeah. trainer's room as well. Very, very good stuff. We also had a great uh, Rouge and La Faction in Gobernable uh, video as well. Oh, I miss that. Get Rouge back. Come on. Get Enough time. We got Rouge on TV. He can come back and wrestle some jobbers. That'd be good. No. Yeah, a fifteen minute match with action Andretti and no feud. That'd be good. The most but the most frustrating thing is you have enough people that you could match them all up. And you wouldn't yeah. need any jobbers. I know, but, but then someone has to do the job and then I don't know, people don't want to work with it. It just seems to be a I don't know. I, I tell you, I would almost take WWE's classic fifty fifty booking yeah. to have some of these lads on TV. I sorry, we need to have Roosh wrestling. Because he's really good. I'd rather see a really good Roosh match that he loses to Swerve, for instance, than Swerve beats a jobber and Roosh is, doesn't have a match. You know? To me, that's a lesser product. Uh, FTR beat a couple... Oh, no, they didn't beat a couple of geeks. They uh, they were in- interfered uh, during the match by the uh, House of Black, and they beat up FTR mm-hmm. as well. Another... They're running roughshod over the show, by God. Uh, and then in the main event, you had Big Bill and Ricky Starks defeating the uh, Combat Club in, a, in a, again, a very, very good tag team match. Uh, culminating in more House of Black interference and ultimately the return from uh, concussion of John Moxley. Hooray! And they all fought. Here's my nitpick. I would have held off the Moxley return for a week. I think the story of this collision should have been the return of the House of Black and their running rush shot over the show. And the show is out of control. The House of Black, we, we can't stop them. Who can stop the House of Black? And we should have gone off the air with the focus of the show and the story being on the House of Black. Mm-hmm. This is the, I, I know that I'm a stickler for this, but this is the old doing too many ideas at once situation again i know yeah. i know i'm i i'm a broken record with that but like after so many weeks you get the house of black are finally back mm. i might have not have even had them come out two times earlier i might have maybe only had them come out at the end and be the focus of the end of the show and that's one thing that generally i know it's not a, a tangent but aw hasn't quite nailed like your classic wrestling has mm. the final image as you go off the air is what by God, Helmsley, you cast Austin to town. Yeah, what, what was the final image here? It was uh, Claudio doing a big spin while... On Ricky Starks. Be- while Beardy FDR did hopscotch over him. You're right. And that, <laughs> what is, why is that the, the lasting memory of the show? It's a fuck up. It should be House of Black standing tall over fallen bodies. That's your yes. image. I've, said, I've heard this said a lot on, on Twitter. Tony Khan is not a visual person he's not a visual booker like he yeah. can make matches but he's not someone who has like a big kind of vision of like you know someone 
you're standing there covered in blood and this is the, the shock kind of thing. And yeah. I, I, I said it's very fair with AEW because sometimes it is very hard to picture the great visuals. You know what I mean? It's, it's, we have to have a template just, though to say, like, like you said, we need the show's going to go off the air, House of Black standing tall, bodies strewn around them. And then maybe what you can do next week is have the exact same image. It rhymes poetry like like old Georgie Lucas goes up and you can bring up the little AEW 2023 island. Yeah. Who could stop the House of Black? Wild Thing starts playing. Moxie comes out, big pop. And I wouldn't even have them touch. I would just have Moxie come to the stage. And maybe the House of Black retreat. To stand face to face. God, Moxie's here. We have someone who can fight back against them. That's two two weeks of of TV endings Mm -hmm. there. But instead, as you say, what we had was House of Black showed up three times. Then Moxley returned. And then we went off the air with a giant swing. Too unfocused. Too much stuff happening. Even if they had to fill time at the end, just don't. Just have people stand there. You don't need, like, just... Bad storytelling. Bad storytelling. But it's, it's almost like, but it's bad storytelling from a production point of view, almost more so. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Like you say. It's not production, but it, it's the, it's not, I'm not talking, it's not production in the sense of like the guys in the truck who are filming it because they're just filming what, they're just reacting to what's happening. It's who's laying out the segments and saying, well, these are the beats of the story. Yeah, this, is the emotion, this is the emotional high point at the end of this episode is house of black have returned and they're dominating and they're ready to take on the, the, um, the Blackpool combat club. That's yeah. the emotional beat that you want to finish on. And then you go into next week where it's, yeah, like you say, the reversal, the good guys come back and, and fight yeah. back. And then next week, house of black. Do something. Uh, now we just get uh, 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 stuff happens. Tune in next week for something yeah. unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And I wouldn't have even had, there was a moment where House of Black kind of faced off with Big Bill and Ricky Starks, and then they all started beating mm. up. The I would have even had Ricky Starks and Big Bill powder out. Yeah. Even, they're, even they're intimidated by this these weirdos, House of Black. Do you know? Yeah, that was very strange. Um, because then you also have the visual of, the, the House of Black, there's only three of them, but they still beat up. Even though Blackpool Combat Club and FTR have the numerical advantage, mm. six against three or whatever, still they weren't able to fight back in, in their weakened state as House of Black. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, and actually, that wasn't even the closing because we, we didn't quite go off the air with that because we had then Battle of the Belts. Which I'm guessing you didn't even want. I've watch. never seen Battle of the Belts, and I never will. You are totally right in your approach to that because it, it is a totally worthless show. Uh, I, I remember when they first announced these Battle of the Belts specials. Well, I think when they first re-upped the TV contracts, mm, right mm. when they announced, um, was Dynamite moved to two hours? Was that a thing? Or was Dynamite always two hours? No, it was always two hours. It was two hours. Because I remember there was like the was rumors, when they added when they added Rampage. Rampage, so. that's one of my yeah. When Rampage was but a a, a glint in Tony Khan's mm. little eye, um, but they announced these like quarterly specials, and that sounded like a, an interesting thing, like a Saturday night's main event or like a in your house, like what in your house was originally. 
certainly was was not like your in your house was never originally you know your wrestlemania level show it was like a two-hour mm. cut prize pay-per-view right so it felt, it felt like oh they weren't obviously called Battle of the Balls yet. It was just there would be a quarterly special for one hour on TBS or TNT or whatever. And I felt like, oh, that'll be interesting. That'll be because AW was still only doing whatever four pay per views at the time. Be like, mm. oh, that'll be like a little mini pay per view in between, like a Clash of the Champions, like <gasps> a Clash of the Champions. Wow. Uh, so instead, we had uh, we had four title matches on the show, no title changes again. Um, so Orange Cassidy defeated John Silver. The only thing notable was at the start of the um, the uh, the match, Blackpool Combat Club were still filing out mm. as Orange Cassidy was making his way to the ring, and he gave Moxley a big old shoulder bump as he walked oh, past. Yeah. And they kind of were pushing each other, and there's a little bit there. Uh, we had then Samoa Joe defended the uh, Ring of Honor TV title against Tony Nice. It was like what the mirror match should have been. Samoa Joe beat him in a minute and a half. Uh, TBS title, Statlander defended against Willow successfully. And in the main event, the acclaimed beat the uh, the former JAS. Now, there was a match made on Collision. So I'll be, your again, your Twitter uh, info bot here mm-hmm. for Dynamite this week. So something for you to look forward to on Dynamite. It's going to be the Blackpool Combat Club... Uh, which is Brian Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli specifically mm-hmm. against the team of Orange Cassidy and Kazuchika Okada. Wait, what? On Dynamite this week. Yep. That was announced in the middle of Battle of the Belts for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's so, going to be on Dynamite this week. Okay. Yep. Because the 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 reason given by Cassidy was, um, you know, because they they had been pushing and shoving right before his match. He said, "Oh, you mm. you combat club guys like to fight. Well, Danielson and Claudio, how about I give you a fight on Dynamite against me and Okada?" And then they went to, straight to the graphic: Orange Cassidy and Okada against BCC. It seems like a okay, fair enough. Obviously, happy to see that, but like. Why? <laughs> I thought he was tagging with Hook. What happened? That never went. That's not going anywhere. Anyway. Anyway, that's your TV for the I week. Mean, AW, I love you, but get your fucking shit together because this TV is just it's just bad, badly written TV, I think is the problem. Yeah, well, I, again, Dynamite and Collision, I would say, were generally good fun shows to watch Hmm. but you're right in that there's a frustration when you you watch it and you can even as an uneducated mark like we are Hmm. you can still see clear areas for improvement and not in the way of this guy can't fucking wrestle why is he being pushed why are they shoving this guy down our throat where it's like no even you know um functionally in the way that a television show should be written and segmented and you know like you said have the story beats what's your cliffhanger you go off the air with what's your what's the message you're conveying through this episode you're right in that it just seems like just do a load of shit Shit. and then they'll watch (laughs) 
<laughs> very basic stuff, and it's not copying WWE. It's copying televisual storytelling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Going off, going off air with a, a visual, like you mentioned, of an Austin events, whatever. That's not copying WWE. That's how you do a TV show. You yeah. have a compelling, uh, kind of unresolved cliffhanger <laughs> at the end of a show that then leads into next week. It's not. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. that's, that's, you're right because the cliffhanger was the House of Black are back and they're taking mm. over, but they resolved the cliffhanger in the same episode. Yeah, <laughs> with the Return of John Max. Yeah. So, in a sense, if you moved the cutoff point five minutes earlier, and maybe you could even start the second episode with John Moxley's back, yeah. and maybe not even link his return to the House of Black. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, we've 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 done it now. Yeah, I think we've done that. We've done let's, that. Let's, let's get on to movies. On. Let's get on to Spe- movies. Speaking of good storytelling. Ooh, yeah. D- done by the Masters. Tell us, uh, Joe, what movie did you watch this week? Um, yeah, I went to see a little little movie um, from Mr. Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. I've heard of him, yeah. Um, his new film, Killers of the Flower Moon, mm. uh, which stars um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, pre- perennial, perennial um, Scorsese actors. Um Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Robert De Niro. Um, we haven't do, we, we didn't do a quiz this week, but I do have an impromptu quiz for you. Hmm. Do you know now, including Killers of the Flower Moon, how many collaborations is that between De Niro and Scorsese? Oh, I did read this on the IMDb trivia. I think oh, it's, you know it. I think it's. I, I can't remember if it's ten or eleven. It, it is, is ten. It's it ten, ten. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with DiCaprio, it's. Six or eight. Not, not <laughs> far behind, yeah. Something like that now. Um, this is the first time they've both collaborated with him at the same time, in the first movie. Yes. Um, it also stars uh, Lily Gladstone in the kind of the third third part of that, that tripod that is the the, the three main characters. Um, so it's, about, it's based on a true story, based on a book about a series of killings in a... I'll say Native American community uh, just after the First World War. I think it's set sort of in the 1920s. Um, the basic story is that this um, Native tribe, uh, the Osage, Osage um, people, Osage uh, County, right? Yes, they own their own land that is very rich in oil, and so around this time, the oil is discovered, and they become the basically the richest people on earth per capita this small kind of um, native american tribe um and then all of these kind of um i mean other americans you know a lot of kind of white americans move in on a very predatory way um begin to marry a lot of the the native women begin to kind of take over the town and a lot of the natives uh, start dying um, mm. In mysterious circumstances, um, however, it's not um, it's not a kind of murder mystery. It's not a detective. It's not a who done it. Um, right. It's it's very much a drama about the kind of emotions of that community going through this and having, you know, not only having their kind of way of life stripped away by these, you know. Americans that have, have settled their land, you know, losing their their connection to the land, losing their their way of life, their practices, their religion, language, and everything. But mm-hmm. now also having their kind of their lives and their health taken away from them as well. Um, 
it's a long film. I actually thought it was two and a half hours going into it. And then at the two and a half hour mark, I was like, I was like, this isn't ending anytime soon. Yeah. Three hours and 26 minutes. Um, I wouldn't say it felt long. I mean, when you're in the cinema for that long, it it does get a bit tricky. You know, you're shifting around in your seat. You do get a bit tired. So, but the actual, I wasn't bored with the film. I was very kind of interested in the film all the way through. Um, there is a a fantastic turn by, uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, in the film who is just, I've heard that he and and Gladstone are the standards. Plemons is always good. I just, I said to Michelle, when we were leaving, keep your special effects and your car crashes and your superheroes. (laughs) Jesse Plemons in a wide brimmed hat is cinema to me. (laughs) That is cinema. Just him. He's, you know, he's a bit of a big lad now and he's just sweating and he's on his eye. Oh, this is cinema, baby. Um, So he's great. I also said, I think De Niro's actually brilliant in this. I mean, you know, he's had an up and down career the last 10, 20 years without doing a lot of really bad movies, but he's fantastic in this. DiCaprio is kind of really good. He almost, you know, he isn't the star in this. He kind of underplays it a little bit uh, in terms of the character and his performance, but he's, he's really, really good. One of his best performances. And then uh, Lily Gladstone uh, is absolutely fantastic as uh, plays Leo DiCaprio's wife. She's a kind of a matriarchal figure. She's one of the most prominent of, of the Native American characters. Um, and she plays it very kind of quietly, very kind of reserved, but which is sometimes hard. You know, you a lot of the great acting performances we think of are very big, you know, shouting, screaming, rah, crazy. She's very quiet, very kind of reserved. and But she just, you know, with the eyes, with those kind of subtleties, she just... Oh, conveys so much. I wouldn't be surprised if she absolutely, yeah, she'll win the Oscar next year. I would not be surprised Ooh. at all. Um, so yeah, it's fantastic. And, and the, the, ah, it's got easy, you know, you have those kind of visual flourishes and the, 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 the choices throughout are just phenomenal. Um, and it's a really interesting kind of emotional film. So I thought it was a masterpiece. It's kind of his first, you know, it's not a Western but I, I would say it's Marty Martin Scorsese doing a Western. It's kind right. of, but it's his, his take on it. So it's not like a cowboy in Indian Western. It's very much through, you know, his lens kind of way. Nice. Uh, so yeah. 100% would recommend seeing it at the cinema. I'll do my and best. It's just, just to have a pee before you go in. Cause <laughs> a lot of people coming in and out of our screening. Um, there are some screenings with intermissions over here. Yeah. I don't mind that, actually. That might be something to to bring back. Yeah. I mean, Uh, if the movie's three and a half hours long, maybe have a little intermission in there. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Killers of the Flower Moon. Masterpiece. Joe Towner. Uh, I watched two movies. I wouldn't say they're masterpieces, but I thought they were both Mm. extremely good. Uh, Both on my horror lists. But both, I would say... Mm, straddling the genres between horror and and something else. Uh, first one is called Possession. Mm. I don't know if you've seen either of these movies, by the way. If you have, we I've can seen, uh, talk about one. Not, not Possession. I've seen the other one. You've seen the other one. Okay, we'll talk about Possession first. So Possession is a 1981 uh, Andrzej Zulowski film. Uh, both of these are European films, by mm. the way. But Possession is... Uh, Oh, baby, when you talk about extreme cinema, I think this was my first dipping of the toe 
mm. really into extreme cinema. Um, so <laughs> let me read you the Google user's synopsis here, right? <laughs> it makes it sound so straightforward and so rudimentary, okay? Here's your synopsis of the film Possession. Mark's wife, Anna, asks him for a divorce, but he suspects that she is having an affair and hires a private investigator. Meanwhile, he begins an affair with his son's teacher, who is Anna's lookalike. Okay, pretty straightforward. Mm. So if I was to say to you that this is a... Uh, I mean, psychological horror doesn't even, I think, do it justice. This mm. in, it involves... Um, body horror and um a scene in which a person has like a five minute breakdown like the film for people who know about the film it's notorious for this one scene mm. in which character in in a subway has kind of a meltdown right and uh i thought it was very effective and i thought the performance was excellent but even i watching it could see oh, i'm sure there's people who kind of think this is a bit too over the top mm. But um, in my review, I said that Possession is a movie that makes Marriage Story. You remember Marriage Story with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. It makes Marriage Story look like two babies cuddling in a cloud. (laughs) Uh, This is a proper horror manifestation of the breakdown of a relationship. And it's very Mm. visually told through the medium of horror. There's a lot of horror imagery. Like I said, there's body horror. Um, the opening credits, and this is I, this is when I got excited when I was watching it. The opening credits, and this is so it's not a spoiler. This is in the first fifteen seconds of the movie. Right. The opening credits had a creature design by. I said, okay, this being a 1981 <laughs> movie, I know I know we got some good shit coming up here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So extremely good. Stars of a young Sam Neill. Right pre-Jurassic Park and all of that, mm. uh, doing a very strange uh, James Bond accent. <laughs> His character is actually, I believe, a spy, but he plays it like Roger Moore almost. But he's very good. And then Isabel Adjani, who's this, this far and away kind of standout from the film. Uh, and yeah, there's a lot of um, really upsetting images in the movie. And there was a child involved, which is mm. also... Uh, without spoiling doesn't necessarily lead to any happy places but um, I thought it was really effective in terms of taking what is quite a mundane but like relatable subject matter Mm. and doing an absolutely crazy thing with it in terms of okay how do we show that on screen okay we could just show they have an argument and then they break up Okay, what if we do something totally different with that idea and show it in a way that's very nightmarish? And I definitely love a film that feels like a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, every second I was watching this movie felt like a waking nightmare because it's so strange and so yeah. extreme and like deranged. Yeah. But in, in, in a good way. Like this was actually, I think we, we were talking about this the, uh, the other week when Barry mentioned that WrestleMania 16 had been banned on video in Ireland or something. Right. Uh, this was, uh, this movie was a video nasty that oh, was uh, forbidden yeah. in the UK at the time. Uh, and it is, uh, it is, it's not necessarily 
very gory or not necessarily very um but it's like emotionally extreme it's very 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 mm. uh but also it's an art house film it's not a video nasty in the sense of then they show a, a sheep being killed or yeah, something yeah. there's no animal cruelty that i'm aware of it's just the movie is so um harsh mm. it's it's really like emotionally speaking it's like nails on a chalkboard for two hours yeah. <laughs> you know and really reaching in deep and and, and you know there's a, a lot of it, it, it's horror it's definitely horror but it's more horror on the uh like i say on the emotional side it's it there's no ghosts knocking about there's no spooky boys mm. so the name possession might be a bit of a misnomer i was expecting to be a a devil possession there is not the word possession takes on a different meaning as it applies to this movie, which I will not spoil or go any further yeah. into. But very, very good. But like I say, um, maybe if you if if you're a little faint of heart, maybe you know watch Hocus Pocus instead. <laughs> might be a better Halloween movie because possession is one that you might not forget too quickly. Yeah. Uh, the other movie I watched, which Joe has also seen, 1955's Diabolique. Yeah, uh, it's funny of, enough, one of my favorites of all time. Too, yeah, there you go. Which, funny enough, the, uh, was remade Charles in Stone. with Sharon Stone and Isabel Adjani, mm. star of Possession, ah, which is just okay. a weird coincidence. I had no mm-hmm. idea until I was looking up the film after the fact. But I watched the 1955 one. Diabolique is. Uh, let me read out the uh, summary again here. The synopsis: uh, Michel de la Celle is murdered by his wife and mistress. His body mm. is dumped in a neglected swimming pool, but the corpse is nowhere to be found when the pool is drained. <laughs> so, Diabolique is a very Hitchcockian uh, yeah. movie. Uh, apparently directly influenced some of Hitchcock's mm. later stuff. Um, but very, very uh, similar in tone to a psycho or a uh, yeah. rear window, even I would say. There's a lot of mystery at play. Um, there's uh, so as you know, as, as we touched on just now. There's uh, the set in a boarding school, hmm. and the principal is is married to the co-director of the school, I guess, and then has a mistress who's also a teacher there. Hmm. And they do none of them get along. In fact, the two women who you might think would be opposed given the circumstances are actually kind of on one team and they both hate this guy yeah and so they conspire to lure him away and murder him uh with some really great haunting imagery the way they do that but in true hitchcock fashion of course this is not directed by hitchcock first of all but in true hitchcock fashion uh all is not what it appears to be they uh they dump the body and it disappears and then stuff starts happening like um. his suit shows up from the dry cleaners what he was wearing and just, so there's a lot of mystery at play I thought the performances and story were, were absolutely tremendous mm. uh, and I was totally on board with it right up until the very very end I actually had the letterbox pre-filled in with the full five and I had a, the briefest of nitpicks at the very very end that i thought okay we're dialing it back to a nine which is still a very very good score oh. but um i felt like 
um the most haunting image in the film which is which is at the very end Mm. Which I, I I won't spoil for people who well, spoil spoil it, spoil it now. We'll talk about the ending because we've both seen it. We, if we you haven't seen it. it. Skip the next three minutes um, or so. But what, okay. what 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 exactly didn't you like? So the big the big ending of Diabolique, Last Chance if you're still here. We're spoiling the film from seventy years ago. Um, is uh, that the um. The director, the wife character returns. She, she's hearing noises at night. Mm. She gets up to, to, to find the dead, the dead husband's body is in the bath because earlier in the film, they've drowned the husband. That's how they yeah. killed him when they learned away. And the body raises up out of the bath. And I'm like, oh my God, this is one of the all time great horror images. The, the yeah. corpse rising, hair all uh, bedraggled down his face, eyes white and you know, empty rises up out of the bath. And then he like takes his, he, he's not dead is the twist. He takes out his little contact lenses. I was like, Oh, that's kind of undercut the image of the, like, you know, I was almost at a place where I didn't need the, the film to be yeah. explained because the imagery was strong enough on, on its own. Yeah. So if, if, if it was just the, the, the corpse rose out of the bath, she has a heart attack and dies. And that's the end. I would have been perfectly happy, but the, Almost the, the 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 explanation for it, I felt undercut the strength of that image, which is that oh, he was just alive the whole time. Like, I don't, and I don't mind that as a twist to the story, mm. but I just felt like that image itself was so strong that it was almost immediately undercut with the reveal of what actually was going on. Right. Like I say, a bit of a nitpick, but I was like, oh, oh my god, this is such a great yeah yeah bit. And then when he reached up and started pulling out the contacts, I was like. Oh. Oh well, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, still a great film. Um, and I, I do think, in in the grand scheme of things, the twist and the reveal is a good one. Mm, and oh, generally, yeah. the whole film plays off in a satisfying way. Just specifically, I would have preferred that image and no explanation mm. than the explanation that we got, which kind of undercut the image. That was all. Gotcha. Yeah, because it's a. Uh a very I said ripped off but now quite a cliched finish almost of like oh we were pretending because she had a weak heart you know that was yeah. that kind of thing I feel like I've seen that in so many probably like an inside number nine type stories almost where it's like and the, the, the mistress and the god what's the uh, oh there was this so there's a murder on the Nile actually death on the Nile it's probably a yeah. good example whether actually it's the the lover and the yeah, it's that's it's exactly a, the same story, isn't it? Basically, yeah. much. I don't know who wrote that first, Agatha Christie or, or Diabolique, but it's similar to that. And I feel like we've seen that a lot. But that was when I first saw that. I remember because I watched it for like my French A level. I was like, oh my god, this is mind blowing! <laughs> what the oh, hell? What a story. And it does have that, yeah, as you say, that Hitchcockian kind of feel to it. It's very tense and very foreboding throughout. So, yeah, yeah very good film. Yeah. and it's got some really like i said some great direction and great mm. visuals in it for 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 what is you know a black and white film set in school it does a lot of really interesting stuff visually especially like i said some of the more horror images because I, w- I would say classic mm. is not a horror film mm. it's it's a it's a mystery thriller with horror elements and certainly yeah, it's a thriller certainly the horror elements feel stronger when you believe that there's a 
supernatural or horror reason to them and when it's you know sometimes with horror if, if it's explained that oh well actually there's a logical explanation for this like no let the horror just be the fact that there's mm. she was having a, a meltdown and she had a vision that his corpse rose from the bath mm. you know like but then on the other hand i know people uh as it applies to a lot of movies and TV, they want everything explained to the fucking letter. And if it's not clear yeah. enough, they'll go to IGN.com, Diabolik Ending Explained. Uh, tell me what I don't didn't get about it. <laughs> everything has to be make 100% sense. You can't just have an ambiguous ending yeah, yeah. anymore. Inception Ending Explained. Was it a dream or was it not? Um, But really, really good. I've never seen the... I've never seen the remake. I only watched the original one last week. Mm. Uh, I don't know about watching... I, I believe the remake is not well thought of. No, no, no. It's, it's crap, I think. Yeah. As far as I remember. But Possession is good. So check that one out. <laughs> um, so that's the movies. In terms of TV, uh, well, Rick and Morty is back. Mm. I watched the first epi. And uh, yeah, the voices are different. One thing I didn't realize is that they they actually got in separate people to do all the voices that uh, Royland did previously. So they don't right. have one guy who can do a Rick voice and a Morty voice. They have mm. specifically someone who now voices Morty mm. and specifically someone who voices Rick and someone who voiced Mr. Poopy Butthole. And that's a real character and so on and so forth. So... That was interesting. But I mean, yeah, it's 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 kind of what I expected it to be. You watch it and for the first five minutes, your ears kind of attuned to it, and then you just forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as the episode itself, I thought it was okay. It was like kind of a bog standard Rick and Morty episode. It wasn't particularly mm-hmm. great or particularly bad. It was just yeah, fine. Um and also, I've totally caught up with Scrubs to the point where the podcast f- dropped off. So I can wait for right. that to build up again, and I'll start watching some more. Um, Mad Men, Nathan, for you. Get those uh, finished off. Nice. Uh, nice. Maybe dip my toe in something else new, like The Bear, or oh, yeah. Obi Murders in the Building, or... Frasier or you know some one of these shows mm. that I've I've wanted to start and just haven't got around to yet. Nice, very nice. Um, now I'm playing a Mario game from ooh 2011, 10? yeah, from like from like a decade ago, easily, mm. which is very very good. But I believe you're playing a Mario game from only a few days ago. I am. I'm playing Super Mario Wonder, which was released on Friday. Um, mm. So I ordered it months ago because I thought it was coming out sooner. <laughs> I ordered, had it ordered for a long time. Uh, very excited to to play it. Um, it's a 2D Mario game. Yeah. Um, I was list- listening to an IGN review, which I think was very astute, which says that you know, we tend to now regard the 3D games as the main... That is now the mainline Mario game. Yes. Right? Not All these other games that come out, Mario versus bowser's fury and blah, 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 blah. they're kind of like little extras that you get oh there's a little mario game coming out 2d scroll side scroller blah 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 yeah even the the new super mario bros series have never felt like 
A plus games. Yeah, yeah. when always. we talk about oh, we want a new Mario game, we're talking about a new Odyssey. Or we're talking about Odyssey something sixty four or Galaxy from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so that these these two D games come out, they now kind of lack that prestige that the mainline games have. I mean, we, the last the last good two D game was Mario World, I suppose, right? Yeah, well, and and that's the thing. Um, you know, they lack that prestige. But the thing is, I mean, you play this game. It's it's fabulous. It is so fun. It is like an Odyssey, but just a two D kind of old school take on that. Like it, it has all these different worlds in it. I think what's different about it, it has so many kind of transformative elements to it in the same way that Odyssey does, where Mario can turn into different things, and uh, not just uh, through consuming like a flower or a mushroom or whatever and, and getting different powers. You know, there's a lot of elements in it where he can transform into something that's very relevant to that particular zone you know he will turn into something which you can then use within it um so that is a lot of fun and some of the levels are just like the design is phenomenal the you know the look of it is amazing the concepts are great it it does have that same real does remind me of odyssey at points where it has those kind of really clever little transformations Mm. it's a very fun game it's obviously I so said it's easier. It's kind. Of, it's, it's designed to be an easier game than a than an Odyssey. Like I'm not. There's a couple of levels I've struggled with, but on the whole, I go in, I complete the level. I, yeah, it's not really that hard, you know. And mm. there's also a lot of kind of fail safes in it. So there's this system of uh, badges within the game that unlock certain skills. So one that unlocks like a wall jump, one that unlocks mm. um, firing out uh, a, a vine, one that allows you to jump higher, one that lets you start with a power up one that lets you take one bit of damage before you die you know that this kind of thing and so you can go back once you've earned those badges you go back and you can kind of redo levels and use those it makes it a little bit easier there's also a lot of things you can go back and unlock in the game that require you to have those where you can't smash a block unless you're in like Mm. uh the elephant uh, mode that you've probably seen in the trailers um so you have to get that and then go back and, and get the extra uh, like seeds in this seeds in this game are the equivalent of the stars and the the shines in the other ones um but yeah i've done i would say i'm close i've probably got one more world to go before i get to the, the final battle um so i've got through most of it but then there is an awful lot to go back and complete in terms yeah. of secrets and to 100 so like, really like, like the mario world all exits and stuff yeah so. it's probably quite similar to very similar to Super Mario World. And like I say, if if the 3D games didn't exist, if we were in a timeline where that wasn't a thing, this would be like, fuck, this is so much better than Super Mario World. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it, it's just the, the creativity and the expansiveness of it is at that level. Um, but we're not. So obviously we're, it's kind of in the shadow of the 3D games. But it's a shame because I think it is really, really fun. Uh, and I've been enjoying playing it. Um, I've avoided like looking at any guides or anything. I wanted to just sort of play it all the way through and just like try yeah. and figure stuff out for myself and not rely on looking. Just up use future. the guides for maybe if you want a hundred percent it. When I yeah, once I've completed the game the first throw and through, I'll go yeah. back because I'm not going to spend months <laughs> like trying to hunt out every secret. I can't be bothered to do that. I will look at the guide yeah. eventually, but I wanted to just like have fun playing it, and it is is a very fun game. Um, I would highly recommend it to any Mario fans. Um, kind of go in expecting a 2D game, and you'll get f- one of the best ones I've ever done. Like it's it's really really good, really good. Yeah, I've only heard good things. I mean, me me still playing Galaxy Two mm. uh, means that 
I'm I'm more kind of decided again to have wait till Christmas to play this. Yeah, because I, I I've just played two Mario games through. I'm on 93 stars mm. on Galaxy Two, so I'm very close to completion. Yeah, although I I, I realized that Mario Galaxy Two doesn't actually have 121 stars. It's got 242 stars. Because what it does is, when you reach 121, mm. it gives you these green stars, which are just three green stars hidden somewhere in the level. Like right. in Odyssey, you know, you, you might jump up to the top of a, a tree and look around a corner, and oh, there's a moon there. It's not tied to a challenge or, a, or an objective, but you just, oh, there it is. So Galaxy does that as well. It gives you three green stars per level, one for each of the level's mm. normal stars. And you just have to go and find the star in the level. I don't know, realistically, after having played through two Mario games in a row, if I really am going to have it in me to then play through all those levels again yeah. to find a random star somewhere. Maybe later in, in a two years, three years, if I get the Mario Galaxy itch, that can be my challenge. Come back mm. and get all those stars and find them. But I'm not going to essentially play through the game again to find all those stars so yeah sure. i'll get to 121 and then i'll jump off it and i'll uh get on to mario wonder maybe around christmas uh, i'm thinking to maybe play a bit of that new spider-man game that's out on the okay. playstation which has been getting good reviews that might tide me over until then and get back to starfield on xbox which i've kind of fallen off the last few weeks yeah and anyway Tell me about this damn music you've been listening to. Yes, to finish things off, we've got a little album of the week. So I've been listening to a 1968 album from The Zombies uh, called Odyssey and Oracle. Um, So I don't know too much about The Zombies. They do have a very famous song, uh, which is Time of the Season. It's the time of the season. So everyone will know that one. Um, yes. I listen to the rest of the album. I have to say the, f- the first half I didn't particularly enjoy. It's got that slightly, or at least what I find that quite haunting sort of 60s sound where it's a lot of like harmonies and quite stripped back. You can hear the intro. It's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I, I didn't care for it too much. But then I think the second half of the album, or would be side, side B on the original album, um, does mm. really kind of kick in. So there's a song called This Will Be Our Year, which to me just sounds like... It, you could cover this now and it would sound like a really good like indie song. Like it's, it's so such a modern quality to it compared to a lot of the stuff on the, the first half of the album. But I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, the other thing I noticed on, on a lot of these, and I saw noticed this on Simon and Garfunkel, there's this real kind of oldie worldy type themes to these sixties music where it's like, Oh, and I crossed her palm with silver at the fair. <laughs> and I'm like, it's 1968. Why are you? It, it's not 1768. Why are you? Is this all this oldie, new agey, oldie worldy like type stuff? I just, I can't get on with it at all. And there's right. a song on there that uh, called Butcher's Tale, which is about a butcher who gets sent to the uh, the First World War, um, and it's him sort of singing about being on the front line and. You know, if I wanted to butcher people, I could have. If I wanted to be a butcher, I could have stayed at home. But now I'm on the front line butchering other men, kind of thing. Right. And it's like it's the sort of thing you just wouldn't really hear nowadays, or at least not from like a big popular band. Sort of one very conceptual, singing about oldy, old timey stuff. I just like oh, I don't get it at all. <laughs> just give me the nice sort of pop songs, so quite good. Fair enough. But um, yeah, I actually did quite enjoy it. Off 
after all I, li- I like the sound um particularly the second half of the album um i've lo- not listened to too many of the 1960s stuff in this uh, album of the week run but uh, this was yeah it's pretty good yeah i was listening to a bit of stromai in the week mm. uh specifically his first album because i think last year was he was that my favorite album last year I don't remember, but I really, really enjoyed his album "Multitude." Right. He brought out last year, but I never listened to like his first two albums, so I've gone back to to listen to the first one with uh, a Laurent dance on it, which everybody. Right. So yeah, quite enjoyable, but like definitely more poppy and dancey than "Multitude" because he was like Christian Cage. He went away for like eight years and then came back and reinvented himself into right. his, his ultimate form. So it, it it is kind of the equivalent of, all right, I'm going back to listen and it's like, you know, 2009 ECW Christian Cage. Yeah, right. It's good, but it's not. <laughs> it's not what I know him to to be. So, but it's quite good nonetheless. Uh, Allure on Dance is a, like a great song. And actually between those first two albums, he's got a lot of really great singles. Uh, Two Slim M and Papa Ute. Mm. Oh, Chef's Kiss on both of them as well. Mm. Um, anyway, that's enough, I think, for, for sure. this week. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us once again, everyone. We will be back next week with more chat, um, probably with Barry Into. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, check us out, chairshotpodcast.com to uh, check out old episodes, check us out on Spotify, uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts, uh, don't check us out on Stitcher because it no longer exists. No, uh, also, you know, Google Podcasts, that's closing down next year as well. So don't bother subscribing on that. They're changing it to YouTube Music, which is shit. So basically, Spotify, Apple, or right-click and save it directly from... Uh, yeah, from I use I use um, an app called Podcast Addict. Ah, okay. And you, what, do you just add RSS feeds to that? You could just, yeah, well, they, they do have a search. They do have like a... Okay. a like a shop, but you can use uh, chairshotpodcast.com slash episodes question mark format equals RSS. That's that's our uh, link for the feed. So you can use that if you want to add a, an RSS feed manually. That link is at, is at the bottom of every single episode page on chairshotpodcast.com. So if you click on a random episode, you'll have the player, and then underneath, underneath you'll have RSS link in case you want to use that. Very good, very good. See how helpful we are. That's already on there. That's there already. This is okay. it, and we need. You know, we've we've been DIY since the beginning. We've been you know self sufficient since the beginning. Um, and when Spotify originally, you know, or eventually decides to get out of the podcast game because they can't be bothered anymore, we'll still be able to reach you through chairshotpodcast.com. This yes. is what we're about. We're not dependent on these big tech companies. You know, <laughs> although we're, if a big tech company does want to get involved, if they want to give us money. We will take do it. that money. Whatever you want, we'll do it. We'll, we will we'll it. change yeah. the format and add more sound effects and yeah. and posts clickbait on I'll be back I'll go back on Twitter if you pay us. Yeah. If Elon Musk <laughs> wants to sponsor us. I, will, I love Twitter. I, I will sell I out. I love Twitter.com actually, now that I think about yeah. it. Sorry, uh, X.com I call it. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't use the old branding anymore. I, I, what the old one? That was rubbish. I like X.com. It, it was called what? Tw- Twitter. I've never heard was, of it. What, it. what was it? Impact Wrestling or something? Anyway, rubbish, <laughs> rubbish. Get rid of that. Get rid of it. Um, well, that's going to do us for this week. So it just leaves it for me to say goodbye from me, Tony Boy, and goodbye from my good friend, co host, Paul Griffin. Goodbye.